they really wanted us to believe that an advisor to Bill Clinton shot himself without a gun. They really thought we would fall for it. Let's talk about it today on a special edition of the Doc Washburn Show. Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We're the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and lets you into the news that traditional talk radio is all too often afraid to talk about. This is episode 350 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show for Thursday, February 23rd, 2023. Just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. I will never pretend a man can become a woman, and I will never forget about the January 6th political prisoners most Republican politicians refuse to even mention. And August 8th, 2022, the day the Biden regime's secret police conducted an unprecedented and unconstitutional raid on the home of a former president of the United States is a day that shall live in infamy. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. And we appreciate all of our patrons so much. Also, please remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. And make sure you check out our new conservative sports podcast, Red Pill Sports, with my friend Donnie Copeland. It drops Tuesday evenings at 11 p.m. Central. We're looking forward to making the transition to video. By the grace of God, we have brand-new top-of-the-line video equipment, and it is installed. What we need right now is a couple of people to produce the show. If you know of a young person who is conservative, wants to be an intern for the Doc Washburn Show, have them contact us. Our email address is contact at docwashburnshow.com. Now, before I get to the story of the Clinton advisor, who they say committed suicide and they wanted us to believe that he shot himself without a gun, i got to address something really quickly. A lot of people have been talking about the plane crash that happened around noon Wednesday at the Little Rock Airport. People all over the country have been talking about this. This is not an Arkansas story. There were five people from a company called CTEH. They were headed to Ohio. This is a company that tests um, soil and water for contamination. And the plane crashed shortly after it took off from the airport in Little Rock, Arkansas. And a lot of people are like, oh, my goodness, there must be some conspiracy here. And I think in a sense there is. I just think it's a different one than what people are assuming. And let me tell you, let me tell you what I'm talking about, because Tucker Carlson has been talking about this recently. Let me just let me just read you a little report here from one of the best investigative reporters in the Little Rock television market, a guy named Mitch McCoy, who works for KARK4, the NBC station. 
He said the minutes leading up to an airplane falling from the sky are being looked at by federal investigators. Robert Katz has been flying for four decades. He's a commercial pilot and certified flight instructor. He said the weather conditions around Little Rock were severe and extremely dangerous. As a plane took off around the noon hour, Wednesday, the 22nd of February, 2023, the the airport recorded a 46-mile-per-hour wind gust and a change in the wind direction. Mr. Katz said the storm would have been a battle for any plane, including commercial. He said there was a front passing right over the airport at the time, and that would have put any aircraft in a compromised position. While the storm rolled through with a punch, there was prior notice the National Weather Service issued a special weather statement around 11.30 a.m., 30 minutes prior to the plane's departure. Meteorologists warned that 50-mile-per-hour wind gusts were possible. Robert Katz said a tower controller would have indications in the tower from wind sensors around the airport, multiple wind sensors. Katz said the FAA control tower is responsible for relaying weather information to pilots prior to a plane's departure. He believes that audio will shed some answers on many questions. I guess they're talking about the black box. Katz said it's going to be very revealing as to what this pilot was informed of in the moments prior to him taking the runway to depart. Airport records reveal no commercial planes took off for more than 30 minutes around the time of the rain and the wind. It's unclear if it was intentional or not. It's also unclear if any other private planes took off. Okay, now what does that take me back to? Well, Tucker Carlson over in Fox News has been talking about the DEI, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, of all federal government agencies, including the Federal Aviation Administration. So, I did an Internet search for FAA and DEI, and here's what I got. The FAA Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Symposium, which was July of 2021, so close to two years ago. It says the Federal Aviation Administration, FAA, is responsible for ensuring people can fly safely and efficiently throughout our national airspace system. The the FAA focus is on air transportation safety, including the enforcement of safety standards for aircraft manufacturing, operation, and maintenance. The FAA's commitment to safety and the mission is a team effort amongst all stakeholders, public and private. The FAA is committed to a diverse workforce and innovation that continues to push the industry to develop new opportunities and share new ideas to ensure the safety of our skies. Diversity, equity, and inclusion 
is more than policies, programs, or headcounts. It is respecting the unique needs, perspectives, and potential of all team members. Well, see, here's the problem with that. It's one or the other. It can't be both. So the safety of airplanes and airports is no longer job one for the Federal Aviation Administration. Instead, diversity, equity, and inclusion. In other words, quotas, making sure you hire enough people of this skin color, making sure you try to hire some gays, whatever. Not hiring the most qualified people for the job, but making sure that you promote diversity. And as Tucker Carlson has been saying, that's going to get people killed. And I think it just did. I think it just did Wednesday at noon at the airport in Little Rock. Because as this Mr. Robert Katz said to investigative reporter Mitch McCoy over KRK4, there's no way in the world that the FAA's air traffic controllers should have let any plane take off. Now, I look, I'm going to get to the Clinton advisor and the ridiculous claim of suicide. I'm going to get to that, but I guess I just got to I just got to tell you about this for just a moment. So some of my business partners and I were having a business lunch uh, at, a, at a wonderful restaurant I'd never been to before, Deer Creek Fire and Stone in Cabot, Arkansas, and we're meeting with Mitch Ward, who is a wonderful sponsor for us with Red River Auto, and we were having lunch. And right at noon, we heard what sounded like a sonic boom. And the power went out simultaneously with what sounded like the sonic boom. And then we could hear a torrential downpour of rain from inside the restaurant. And the waitress is like, hey, it'd probably be safer if everybody go back in the hallway, you know, towards the restrooms. And we're all kind of looking at her like, well, want to eat lunch. Um, Because, you know, lunch was already at the table. Thank the Lord for that. Anyway. So the first thing I'm going to do, I've got my cell phone on me, right? And there's a place on your cell phone where you see the current temperature. So I hit that, and I changed, changed it from Little Rock to Cabot. They're not that far apart. They're, they're both in the Little Rock metro. But I wanted to know, okay, what's going on right here, right now, where we are? And there was a special weather statement about a line of severe thunderstorms moving through the Little Rock metropolitan area and possibility of 50-mile-an-hour winds. There was no tornado watch or anything, but, boy, that was some serious heavy weather. Later Wednesday afternoon, I found out about the plane crash. And I I was just thinking, oh, wait, wait, wait. Because the 911 calls from people who witnessed the crash very close to the airport started at 12.02. It didn't get far. And I was just thinking, oh, my goodness, why on earth? Would a plane have taken off 
from that airport in Little Rock with the weather being that bad. I mean, there's just no way in the world that's insane. And so, good old Mitch McCoy there, uh, investigative reporter, KRK4 and Fox 16 in, uh, in Little Rock. I mean, he, I think he did a pretty good job explaining it. So the plane crashed right around the 3M plant, which is just a few blocks. It's less than a mile away as the crow flies from the airport in Little Rock, which makes you think, I mean, Reminds me of the uh, the special I saw one time about the uh, the Buddy Holly plane crash up in Clear Lake, Iowa, 1957. Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and uh, the Big Bopper. And there was bad weather, and, and the plane had hardly even gotten off the runway when it crashed. And it's a shame. But Tucker's right. When you're talking about a job where every every day is life and death issues, and you are going to prioritize diversity, equity, and inclusion instead of hiring the best people, the most competent people, to keep planes from falling out of the sky, then you're going to get what happened Wednesday in Little Rock, Arkansas. Now, I just hope the FAA will tell the truth. But... Since Tucker has been talking about this sort of thing, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if he talks about the plane crash in Little Rock soon. Um, he, he and his staff are on it. I just, I'm very impressed. All right, coming up, uh, the story about the Clinton advisor who was found dead May of 2022, and now the police in Arkansas have said he committed suicide, but they, they wanted us to think that he had shot himself even though there was no gun around. Really, uh, No, really, I'm not making this up. So that's coming right up. Okay. Speaking of Red River Auto, if you try to buy a car recently, you realize sometimes you have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. Okay, that's where Red River Auto comes in. Red River Auto is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including the freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online. They'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Auto wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. Red River Auto Group has perfected the online buying process. Just go to redriverauto.com. Pick from hundreds of new and used vehicles. You can purchase your vehicle online. If you have any questions, one of Red River's trained experts will help you through the whole process. Red River Auto makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. 
If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the Nationwide Car Dealer that believes in freedom. The dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live in the continental USA, RedRiverAuto.com. You will be glad you did. All right, always an honor to tell you about the best-kept secret in American healthcare, And it's a very personal thing for my wife and me. When we were still dating, we were engaged. We went down to see family in Florida. And we came back up to Arkansas, where we lived. I think it was like December 30th, something like that. Well, December 31st, New Year's Eve, I tried calling her all day long, couldn't get a hold of her. Finally got a Facebook message from one of her grown children who said, Mama woke up this morning, couldn't catch her breath, and Jason's girlfriend had to drive her 80 miles an hour to the ER at Baptist Medical Center, and she is in an induced coma. And I'm like, an induced how much? Because I didn't know what that meant. What that meant was they got to put you under to stabilize you. Um, so she was in that induced coma for two and a half days. She was in the hospital for nine days. And as soon as she got out, I took her to a place called the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center. All right. In case you've never heard me talk about that, let me explain what they do. Your skull weighs anywhere from eight to 15 pounds. Your skull rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas or C1, which only weighs two ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column could get kinked up like a chain. When that happens, your central nervous system isn't able to communicate with the rest of your body as designed to do. So I was sure we needed to find out if her atlas was out of alignment and, you know, need to be adjusted. So sure enough, uh, Dr. J.R. Crabtree, Arkansas Cervical Center did the x-rays. Oh, my goodness, yes. Your, uh, your atlas is out of alignment, and he adjusted her atlas. And as we were walking out of the office in the parking lot, Peggy told me, Doc, this is crazy. I'm like, what? She said, well, the big toe on my left foot has felt numb and tingly for years. Now it feels normal. That afternoon, I was doing my radio talk show, like usual. She texted me. She said, guess what? I don't have my regular daily backache. And I'm like, praise God from whom all blessings flow. That's wonderful. A few days later, she said, you know what? I have not had a headache since I got my atlas adjusted at Arkansas Upper Cervical Center. I'm like, well, how often are you used to have a headache? She's like, every day. Every day. Wow, that's great. So she had to have a follow-up a few weeks later from having been in the hospital with a respiratory specialist because they had told her she had COPD. And he put her through all the tests and everything, and he's like, you, you don't have COPD. Why did they tell you you have COPD? She's like, I don't know. But they, they did. No, you don't have anything like that. I don't understand how in the world you had breathing problems. And she didn't know how to explain to him about getting her atlas adjusted. But I'm here to tell you, if you have problems with your breathing, or dizziness, or vertigo, problems with your blood sugar, or eczema, or psoriasis, or fibromyalgia, even migraines. Call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 
501-279-2009 for free consultation. They've helped me. They've helped my wife. They've helped a lot of people we know. Might be able to help you. Who knows? Free consultation. you got nothing to lose. Please call them to see if they can help you. That number again for your free consultation, 501-279-2009. If you're out of state, go to the website, termitepoweron.com. If you're outside Arkansas, and click on the tab that says find a doctor near you at termitepoweron.com, and I hope you can. Now, as you probably heard, our friend Mike Lindell has a passion to help everybody get the best sleep of your life. And boy, do I have good news. Have you heard about my pillow 2.0? That is Mike Lindell's new development. My pillow 2.0. And people are raving about it. My wife and I are raving about it. Uh, it is remarkable. I mean, as wonderful as, as we thought the original my pillow was. Let me tell you about this. It's got a brand new temperature regulating technology that keeps you comfortable throughout the night. My pillow 2.0 has a new fabric which dissipates heat and humidity to create a cooling sensation to maintain a cooler surface temperature. This new fabric technology helps regulate your body temperature through the night by creating a lower surface temperature for a more restful night's sleep. Your core body temperature plays a big role in how well you sleep. My Pillow 2.0 was developed to provide a cool surface and engineered for comfort because it's a fiber, not a finish. It'll last the life of the fabric. My Pillow 2.0 is available in four loft levels. It's machine washable and dryable, 10 year warranty, 60 day money back guarantee, and. If you order right now using the promo code DWS, you can get two for one. And don't forget about Mike Lindell's Giza Dreams bed sheets. They are so comfortable. Once you sleep with those, you never want to sleep on anything else again. Right now, for my listeners, Giza Dreams sheets for as low as $29.98 just by using promo code DWS. Also, a set of pillowcases, only $9.98. In this economy, instead of buying a new bed, rejuvenate your bed with a MyPillow mattress topper for as low as $99.99. MyPillow also has blankets in a variety of sizes, colors, and styles like plush, waffle, or gossamer for as low as $29.98. Get huge discounts on duvets, quilts, down comforters, and so much more. Use that promo code DWS. You get huge discounts on all MyPillow bedding, including MyPillow 2.0, and my pillow Giza Dreams sheets. And don't forget about the My Slippers moccasins, the most comfortable thing I've ever put on my feet. Right now, save up to $90 on my slippers, slip ons, and moccasins, marked down to just $49.98 by using promo code DWS. Now remember, DWS does not stand for Washed Up Democrat Politician Debbie Wasserman Schultz. No, no, no. It stands for Doc Washburn Show. MyPillow.com and MyStore.com, where Mike sells all kinds of stuff. Quantities are extremely limited at these amazing prices, so please order now. Just use promo code DWS. All right, now, there's a guy named Mark Middleton, and he worked in the Clinton White House. 
And he's there the first couple of years Bill Clinton was president. And he's the guy that got Jeffrey Epstein in the White House seven times. And uh, he was, he had a big heating and air business in Little Rock, Arkansas called Middleton Heating and Air. Very well known in Little Rock. And they found him dead May of 2022. And a couple of days ago, they finally came out with a police report saying it was suicide. Now, I'm going to tell you why that doesn't make any sense. Now, you know how I, uh, on the earlier story, I quoted uh, a story from a local TV station in Little Rock, Arkansas. I can't do that this time. There's a total and complete blackout on this very well-known member of society in Little Rock, Arkansas. The newspapers, the TV stations, nobody's touching the story. Okay? So you got to go to a uh, a British newspaper really has the best coverage. So the story broke at... 8.24 a.m. Eastern Time, Wednesday the 22nd, updated at 4.47 p.m. Eastern Time, Wednesday the 22nd. Exclusive, Arkansas cops rule suicide and death of Clinton aide linked to Jeffrey Epstein, who was found shot and tied to a tree with an electrical cord around his neck, despite no sign of weapon. So, what did the gun do? Just walk away? No, that's no, no. That's really what they put out there Wednesday. Like, just be, who are you going to believe, me or your lying eyes? Now, let me share with you. And then I'll share the update with you from the next day. And uh, Daniel Bates is a reporter for the UK Daily Mail who got the scoop. Got to give credit where it's due. He says the grisly scene where a top Bill Clinton advisor was found hanged from a tree with a gunshot wound to his chest has finally been revealed nine months after he died. Now again, when this very well-known member of society in Little Rock, Arkansas, was found dead in May of 2022, the TV stations, all the TV stations, and both of the newspapers in Little Rock, Arkansas, totally blacked it out, media blackout. They didn't touch it. They didn't even say, oh, by the way, um, very well-known Mark Middleton, you know, leading figure in Middleton Heating Air uh, passed away. Didn't no mention. No mention. Anyway, but the sheriff's report into Mark Middleton, Middleton's mysterious death raises more questions than answers, as it rules he died by suicide despite no sign of the weapon that killed him. They really thought we'd go with that. They really thought, yeah, they'll believe anything. 59-year-old Middleton was found dead last May at the Heifer Ranch in Perryville, Arkansas, an hour west of Little Rock. The Heifer Ranch, H-E-I-F-E-R. Now, Heifer is a nonprofit 
that is affiliated with the Clinton Foundation and, and the Gates Foundation. Huh, imagine that. Release of the report was held up after members of his family petitioned a judge. They were worried that pictures from the gory scene would be made public, and you can understand that. I mean, husband, father, they don't want to see him looking like that. They don't want anybody else to either. That's understandable. The judge eventually ruled that details could be released, but photographs could not. Okay. That's a judgment call. The report, written by Perry County Sheriff's Deputy Jeremy Lawson, says he would call, was called to the ranch on the Heifer property by a worker, I hate that word, by employee, Samantha McElroy, who had found Mark Middleton's abandoned black BMW SUV. He had a Beamer. 46-year-old McElroy then walked around a cottage on the ranch. Deputy Jeremy Lawson, Perry County, Arkansas, wrote in his report, almost immediately after stepping around the corner of the cottage, she started yelling. Upon reaching the back of the cottage, she pointed toward the rear of the property and asked if that was a person. Deputy Lawson said, I could see what at first appeared to be a man sitting near a tree. As my eyes focused better, I could see a rope of some type going from the tree limb to the male. Lawson said it was clear that Middleton was dead. He said, I could see that he had a gunshot wound to the chest and that he had a knot tied in an extension cord that was around his neck, and it was attached to the limb directly above him. The deputy said a search of Middleton's vehicle turned up three boxes of gunshot and a gun case, but no weapon. Again, really? So what happened to the gun? The details, they really want to go with this. Suicide, but no gun. The details give fresh insight into the death of Mark Middleton, a married father father of two daughters, aged 18 and 20, who was found dead on May 7th last year. And they have a screenshot of the obituary, a screenshot of the sign out front of the Heifer Ranch, the big 501c3. Got a picture of the uh, the area there on the ranch. Got a picture of uh, Mark Middleton in better days, smiling broadly. Got a picture of Bill Clinton shaking hands with Jeffrey Epstein with Glenn Maxwell, the girlfriend slash pimp, looking on, smiling adoringly. And so then the article says... Middleton was a special advisor to Bill Clinton in the 1990s and signed Jeffrey Epstein into the White House on seven of the 17 times the late pedophile visited. Middleton also flew in Epstein's jet, nicknamed the Lolita Express, 
More recently, he had been working for his family's HVAC business in Little Rock. He's been doing that a long time. Not just working. I mean, he's more, he was one of the main guys, you know. The police report was released to the U.K. Daily Mail by the Perry County Sheriff's Office. According to the Arkansas Times, Middleton's family said he was suffering from depression. Middleton's life in recent years was a world away from the power he enjoyed back in the 1990s. White House visitor logs previously reported by the Daily Mail showed that Middleton appears as the authorizing signatory on seven of Jeffrey Epstein's White House visits, most of which were to the West Wing. In addition to being a special assistant to the president, Mark Middleton was also assistant to the chief of staff, Thomas Mac McClarty. Middleton left the White House February of 1995, so just around two years after he, after Clinton became president. He was accused of setting himself up as an international deal-maker, exactly the kind of person that would appeal to Jeffrey Epstein. In 1996, an investigation by the White House found that Middleton had abused his access to impress business clients and was barred from the executive mansion without senior approval. Middleton denied the claims. A number of Bill Clinton's former associates have died over the years in unexpected circumstances, including Deputy White House Counsel Vince Foster. Yeah, he did. And um, this uh, this story, The Odd Death of Mark Middleton, reminds a lot of people of uh, Vince Foster. Yeah, that's, that's not surprising that that name would come up. Vince Foster's 1993 death was ruled a suicide but sparked a slew of conspiracy theories about the involvement of the Clintons. Um, you know, I got to tell you, just let me digress here for a second about Vince. I'll never forget where I was when I found out that Vince Foster had been found dead. Bill Clinton was on Larry King Live on CNN. And Larry King announced some sad news. Deputy White House Counsel Vincent Foster had been found dead in Fort Marcy Park in rural northern Virginia. And the first words out of Bill Clinton's mouth were, well... I guess we'll never find out what happened. And I'm sitting there going, wait a minute. You've known this guy all your life. You've known this guy since you're seven years old. He was a law partner with your wife at Rose Law Firm in Little Rock, Arkansas, before you guys went to Washington, D.C. And you're not going to say, oh, my goodness, this is awful. I can't believe it. We're going to have a full investigation. We've got to find out what happened. You're not going to do that? Well, I guess we'll never know. Yeah, you'll never know 
unless you do. Guess, guess what government agency investigated the death of Vince Foster? I give you three guesses. Nope. Nope. And nope. The park police. Because the body was found in a park. And uh, the park police really doesn't have that well-developed a homicide division. I hope that didn't shock you. I hope you're sitting down. I didn't mean to, you know, knock me over with a leaf. But um, I'll never forget. Years later, Larry King was re- recalling how the whole thing went down with breaking the news about Vince Foster on that show. And he was rewriting history. The way he remembered it was not the way it happened. Little did Larry King know that the New York Times did an article the next day telling exactly, play-by-play, what happened with Bill Clinton on the Larry King Live show on CNN and announcing the death of Vince Foster. But Larry King interviewed Bill Clinton many times. That's the one you won't find anywhere. You can go to YouTube. You go anywhere you want. You're not going to be able to find the interview of Bill Clinton by Larry King or Larry King Live on CNN from July 20th, 1993. That doesn't exist anymore. And I'll never forget, not too long after that, G. Gordon Liddy, who was a nationally syndicated radio talk show host at the time, he uh, had an FBI confidential witness on guy who was driving home and um, felt the call of nature and had to pull over somewhere. And unfortunately, pulled over at Fort, Fort Marcy Park, McLean, Virginia. And walked away from the parking lot a little bit. And uh, came across a body. It looked like it had been dragged through the underbrush. Yeah, Fort Marcy Park is right in between George Washington Memorial Parkway and Chain Bridge Road, and it's probably not as remote now as it was 30 years ago. He said he came across a body, looked like it had been dragged through the uh, underbrush in a suit, and uh, he said there was a uh, half-empty wine cooler bottle next to the body. There was no gun. And he's like, oh, I got to get out of here and go call, you know, 911. This is back before most people had cell phones. Again, 1993. And he said as he was going out to the parking lot, he noticed a beat-up little Mazda compact car all rusted out with a four-pack of the same kind of wine cooler in the car, and that's when he's thinking, oh, my goodness, whoever killed this man might still be around here. i got to really get out of here. So uh, 
He said, he told Gigon Liddy that when the FBI interviewed him, they said, well, now, it, could it be possible that maybe some leaves were over his hand and you just missed the gun? You, you Maybe you didn't see it. Nope. No, sir. No, sir. So the feds eventually released uh, uh, what they said was a photo of Vince's hand with the gun in it. And it was in the wrong hand. And the thumb was in the trigger. And it's just like, that's not the way it works, bro. So, people who've really looked at the Vince Foster situation, they might think he killed himself, they might think he didn't kill himself, but nobody who's really looked at it thinks that he killed himself in Fort Marcy Park. Wherever he died, it was somewhere else. Whether somebody killed him or he killed himself, it was somewhere else. And it was reported that there were carpet fibers and uh, blonde strands of blonde hair on his clothes. But everybody's supposed to believe that he committed suicide. But at least they put a gun in Vince's hand. The initial report from the, the exclusive initial report about the police report from the Perry County, Arkansas Sheriff's Office. And I, I'm told on good authority that the Arkansas State Police also has something to do with the investigation. Well, I mean, the Arkansas State Police were investigating the day of. I mean, that was reported in the news. But anyway, we're just supposed to believe that the gun just walked off, I guess, after he shot himself. That was the initial report on Wednesday. Now, we'll give you the rest, and we'll give the update on Thursday. But there's a lot of stuff about this that I think you're going to want to know. That I, I don't know. You, you, if you're listening to Doc Washburn's show, you probably realize, no matter where in the United States you live, that there have been a number of people over the years who were close to the Clintons, who died under suspicious circumstances. It's called the Clinton death list. That's one of the names for it. And there is a, uh, there's a term that people in Arkansas and, and other places who keep track of the Clintons use. It's called Arkansas, like suicide, but Arkansas. And see, back when Bill was governor, he had a medical examiner, a guy named Fami Malik, who was from Egypt. And if you would present the Arkansas State Medical Examiner, Fami Malik, with a body that had like um, two bullet holes in the back of its head, he would say suicide. You present him with a decapitated body, he would say natural causes, that sort of thing. There was the uh, boys on the tracks Murder mystery from 1987, August 23rd, 1987. Train ran over these two teenage boys. And the train only had five seconds to see them. You can't stop a train doing 55, 60 miles an hour in five seconds. They laid on the horn. They squealed the brakes. And the two two boys on the railroad tracks didn't even move a muscle, didn't flinch. So everybody knew they were already dead. 
But Fahmy Malik, the state medical examiner who was protected by Bill Clinton for many years, said, well, they smoked so much uh, weed that they passed out, and even the, the loud horn of the train couldn't wake them up, which is ridiculous. And the families of the two boys hired an outside forensic pathologist who came down like no questions, no, no, no question about it. These boys were murdered before the train ran over them. And it's been 35 and a half long years, and nobody's been held accountable for that. But anyway, I just, so, so a, a, a lot of, a lot of folks close to the Clintons, you know, left this mortal coil under very suspicious circumstances. And anybody who's looked in, anybody who's looked into the historical record, I mean, I'm not, I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. So, um, but we're going to get to the rest of Mark Middleton story because it is, it's unusual. It's unusual. I'll just, I'll just put it that way. All right, you know, AT&T has been losing billions of dollars in the stock market lately. I think it's probably because the uh, satellite operation they own, DirecTV, first they dropped One American News, OAN, last year, and now more recently they dropped Newsmax with little or no notice, and people are like, I'm done. Oh, AT&T, oh, AT&T owns DirecTV? Oh, I'm done. I'm going to get rid of DirecTV. I'm also going to change my cell phone carrier. No more money from me to AT&T. Okay, I get the perfect opportunity here for you. If you're thinking about leaving AT&T or one of the big, other big liberal cell phone carriers, Patriot Mobile is America's only Christian conservative wireless carrier. And now more than ever, it's important to band together and support companies that share our conservative values. Patriot Mobile donates a portion of every dollar earned to organizations that fight for causes you care about. Patriot Mobile has exceptional nationwide cell coverage and uses the same towers the main carriers use, and they have a coverage guarantee. So you don't have to worry about that. That's handled. Patriot Mobile has plans to fit any budget, along with great discounts, for our veteran and first responder heroes, as well as multi-line users. I'm a multi-line user. I'm saving a lot of money with Patriot Mobile after leaving one of the big cell phone carriers. When you switch to Patriot Mobile, you're shifting your support from the leftist progressive agendas of Big Mobile to the Christian conservative causes of Patriot Mobile. When you become a Patriot Mobile member, your dollars are helping to fund our God-given right to freedom, a portion of every dollar they earn, is given back to the causes of support organizations that fight for First Amendment religious freedom, freedom of speech, Second Amendment right to bear arms, sanctity of life, and the needs of our veterans and first responders. Switching is easy. Why not just do what I did? Go to PatriotMobile.com or call their U.S.-based customer service team at 972-PATRIOT. Make sure you use promo code DOC, that's D-O-C, for free activation. The late, great Ronald Reagan said inflation is as violent as a mugger, as frightening as an armed robber, as deadly as a hitman. 
Have you thought about the benefits of investing in precious metals? There are five profound benefits of investing in precious metals. Number one, it's a hedge against inflation. Number two, it's a great way to diversify your portfolio. Number three, asset liquidity. Number four, precious metals tend to be a store of value. Now, in case you don't know what that means, that means they're an asset, commodity, or currency that maintains their value without depreciating over the long haul. Last but not least, precious metals can be a hedge against geopolitical uncertainty and the struggling U.S. dollars. So we're honored to join forces with Beverly Hills Precious Metals and its owner, Andrew Sorcini. Andrew has been involved in gold and silver for over 40 years. He and his team at Beverly Hills Precious Metals know the gold and silver business inside and out. After many years in the markets and collecting precious metals privately, Andrew Sorcini opened Beverly Hills Precious Metals in 2010 to bring precious metals to the homes of everyday American citizens. We found out about Andrew Sorcini and Beverly Hills Precious Metals from our friend, General Michael Flynn, and we're glad we did. Now make sure you ask about the new General Flynn silver coin. They're selling like hotcakes. Andrew Sorcini is a frequent guest on conservative podcasts. Beverly Hills Precious Metals is our gold buyer of choice. To learn more about Andrew and his team, just go to the website, bh-pm.com. The BH stands for Beverly Hills. The PM stands for Precious Metals. If you can't remember that, just do an Internet search for Beverly Hills Precious Metals. It's the first thing that will come up. Tell them Doc Washburn sent you. And we're honored to be able to tell you about Beverly Hills Precious Metals in an effort to help you in your attempts to protect your family's finances, wealth, and investments. bh-pm.com or just do a search for Beverly Hills Precious Metals and tell them Doc Washburn sent you. Now, I've been talking to you about how the world's going crazy, the supply chain issues, record-setting inflation, sky-high gas prices, and woke corporations that stand against everything we believe in. We all know how the big box stores were allowed to stay open all during the pandemic, while so many little guys, small business owners, regular people, were forced to close. The wealthiest people on earth became better off while mom-and-pop businesses suffered. The question is, what are we willing to do about it? How can our voices be heard? Well, we can make a difference by voting with our dollars. Why continue shopping at big box stores if you get the items you need from a family-owned company? Now, finally, we can shop Factory Direct at a family-owned, made-in-America manufacturer. Switch to America.com is helping Americans walk away from the big box conglomerates. That's why Switch to America was created with regular folks like you and me in mind. One of the best ways to get around this crazy inflation is to shop with family-owned companies that put their customers first rather than shareholders and corporate executives. A lot of Patriot influencers have come on board. I'm inviting you to join with fellow Patriots to cut off the cash flow of the big woke corporations that are trying to destroy our country. We are done with the woke 
globalist operation against humanity. Each of us can take market share away from these businesses that have enjoyed unfair advantages. We can choose to help each other by shopping family-owned, made in America. The website is switchtoamerica.com. Join with over 2 million monthly shoppers that have already made the switch. Let's start voting with our dollars to make sure our purchases are supporting companies that promote freedom. And now an even more exciting addition is fresh American-raised beef. Raised in the mountains of Montana near the Yellowstone, this beef is known as never ever. Never has the animal ever been exposed to antibiotics, hormones, or vaccines. This prime or high-choice beef is shipped directly to your door. Pricing and availability is exclusive only to our members, and it isn't shipped anywhere else in the world. Switch to America today. Switch to America com is dedicated to offering family-owned alternatives for items we buy on a regular basis. Just go to switchtoamerica.com. When asked how you heard about us, click on my name, Doc Washburn, plug in your info, and I'll have one of my guys contact you ASAP. Switchtoamerica.com. All right, Mark Middleton. Mark Middleton is the big story for today. And the fact that the police in Arkansas just wanted us to believe this guy committed suicide, he hung himself, he shot himself, no gun, but hey, don't worry about it, right? Just just the good old boys trying to straighten the curves. Beats all I ever saw. Yeah, no, yeah, I used to sometimes play the theme for the Dukes of Hazards. When I did the radio show in Arkansas, talking about corruption. So, after Jeffrey Epstein hanged himself while awaiting trial in 2019, Donald Trump retweeted conspiracy theories that Clinton was involved. Do you actually believe that Jeffrey Epstein hanged himself? Because I don't. Not a chance. Again, Tucker Carlson did a whole thing on that. There's no way the guy hanged himself. He had already been attacked once a couple of weeks earlier. Uh, Let me see. Daily Mail here says, others whose deaths have been linked to the Clintons without foundation have been Seth Rich, the Democrat National Committee staffer who was murdered in 2016 with no culprit having been found. Others? Others... Suggests more than one. Suggests plural. That's only one person, Seth Rich. How do you know there's no foundation? How how about about some of the ones that, um, well, they don't know who killed Seth Rich. They have no idea whether the Clintons had anything to do with it or not. No idea. But I can tell you some names. There remain mysteries to this day. Many years later. You ever heard of Mary Mahoney? The Starbucks murder. Georgetown, Washington, D.C., July 6, 1997. Mary Mahoney was one of the ones that was murdered there. 
She had been an intern in the White House, just so you know. There are many people, many names on the Clinton death list. But anyway, there was an update on the story about Mark Middleton 24 hours later. Exclusive shotgun was found near the body of Clinton aide linked to Jeffrey Epstein. He texted wife, found a perfect place for a nap before blasting his chest and falling from bench with electrical cord tied around his neck. That sounds like a headline that wants you to believe the official story. I wonder why the uh, UK Daily Mail got the got the scoop, got the exclusive. Now, this time the two reporters, Martin Gould and Daniel Bates. And they say a shotgun was found near the body of the Clinton White House aide who killed himself on a ranch in Arkansas. The local sheriff is now saying, why didn't he say it 24 hours earlier? Because they wanted to see if we'd buy it. We'd buy a, a suicide with no gun around. No, seriously. You, you release a police report saying, okay, so he hung himself with this uh, extension cord from a dollar store, and he also shot himself in the chest, but uh, didn't find a gun. And we're just supposed to buy that. Hook, line, and sinker. Oh, wait a minute. Well, they didn't buy it. Okay, 24 hours later, let's let's say, yeah, well, there was a gun. Sure, there was a gun. I mean, what, what, am I suppo- what am I supposed to think? Come on, man. No, I'm not trying to quote Dementia Joe Biden. <laughs> this is ridiculous. And more details of how cops now believe Mark Middleton killed himself have been released. Why not the day before? You only get one chance to make a first impression, you know? I mean, papers released earlier by Perry County Sheriff Scott Montgomery said deputies who were called to the Heifer Ranch in Perryville, Arkansas, an hour west of Little Rock, after an abandoned BMW SUV was found there, specifically said there was no gun in the car. But now, a further set of papers has been released to the UK Daily Mail that says a weapon, a Stoger 12-gauge coach gun, was found on the ground 30 feet from Middleton's body. 30 feet. Now, I'm not an expert with shotguns. I mostly shoot handguns. So I talked to a buddy of mine who was, and he's like, no, uh-uh, uh-uh, no. No, not 30 feet. No, I wouldn't go that far. And the new, I'm just saying, in the new papers, Sergeant Keenan Carter gives a detailed explanation of how he believes Mark Middleton, an aide who signed pedophile Jeffrey Epstein into the White House several times. Oh, several, yeah, several meaning seven during Bill Clinton's presidency 
took great lengths to ensure his suicide bid was successful after writing a text to his wife saying he had found a perfect place for a nap in the sun. That's kind of a weird last text. To your beloved, I wonder if uh, I wonder if he actually was the one that sent the text. Anyway, the sheriff said Mark Middleton tied an electrical cord around his neck and then shot himself. So if the blast didn't kill him, the wire would when he fell. In the note to his wife, Rhea, Middleton said, Going to rest for a while. You are a great mom and wife, babe. Please be happy today and get some sun. It will make you feel better. I love you. And he signed off on the text with a heart emoji. So, this is just so weird. Sergeant Keenan Carter, Perry County, Sheriff's Office, said 59-year-old Middleton then pulled an eight-foot-long bench over to a tree at a point on the ranch overlooking a valley. He said he stood on top of the bench and tied one end of the extension cord to a large limb of the tree and the other end around his neck. It is believed that Mr. Middleton then took the firearm and placed the barrels against his chest and then reached out with his left hand and placed his left and placed his first finger of his left hand on the first trigger. It is then believed that Mr. Middleton pulled the trigger on the firearm, causing it to discharge and strike him in the chest, and then he fell from the bench, causing the extension cord to become tight, cutting off his breathing. Sergeant Carter of the Perry County Sheriff's Office said in this report that the gun landed so far from Middleton's body due to the recoil from the discharge and the height and angle of the ground. Well, again, talk to a buddy of mine who knows a lot about shotguns, and he's like, nah, nah, it wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't go that far. The officer didn't find any evidence to indicate there was anyone else present with Mr. Middleton at this scene or any evidence that there was any type of struggle and or foul play. Middleton's body was discovered shortly after 1 p.m., May 7, 2022, but Sergeant Carter believes he had killed himself more than three hours earlier as the text to his wife was timed at 9.26 a.m. Yeah, that'd be over three and a half hours earlier. He said the relative lack of blood on Middleton's body indicated that he had died within seconds. Well, see, that's uh, that's something else a lot of people have found to be very puzzling, very alarming. Um, people are very skeptical about that. Coroner Theodore Brown noted that Middleton had a history of depression and ruled his death a suicide. Yeah, nine months later. Nine months later. He said all toxicology studies proved negative. Ian Peters, the operations coordinator at the ranch, 
said he called the sheriff's office after noticing that Middleton's black SUV had been on the site for some hours. When the deputies discovered an empty gun case and three boxes of buckshot with two rounds missing, he and fellow worker, no, employee, please, we're not, we're not totally communists yet. He and fellow employee, Samantha McElroy, started searching the area. 33-year-old Ian Peters said in a statement, we began to be concerned that this person was lost or something. I went into a nearby trail to the south and heard my colleague, Samantha McElroy, calling for help. I ran toward her and could see the officers moving toward where she was, and she was pointing toward the overlook approximately 150 feet away, asking, is that a human? Is that a body? And they have um, screenshots of a written statement from the deputy and a written statement from the employee of the Heifer Ranch. What they don't have is the actual police report, toxicology report, and pathology report. I wonder why. Because they're told they've been given exclusive access to anyone. But they don't talk about any of the other folks. So I went looking around. I know how to research things. And there's a guy named Pete Lincoln who is over on Substack. He's got his own Substack articles, Substack page. And he's got a lot of um, links to a lot of stories going back to the 90s about Mark Middleton. Now, this article is entitled Clinton Middleton, Epstein, and Stevens, Inc. Oh, my. Stevens, Inc. is a big financial concern in Arkansas. This is from September 1st, 2022. He says, on May 7th, 2022, Mark Middleton was allegedly found suicided at a ranch he had no connection with, shooting himself in the chest with a shotgun while hanging himself. He says, Middleton arranged seven meetings between Epstein and Clinton. In the mid-90s, on August 23, 2022, a seven-day-ripe old Steve Hoffenberg was found dead in his apartment. Now, in case you haven't heard that name, we'll tell you who he is. Hoffenberg, who partnered with Jeffrey Epstein, swindled thousands of investors out of $460 million and was sentenced in 1997 to 20 years in prison. He claimed Jeffrey Epstein was actually the architect of the scheme, but Epstein was never charged during the Clinton administration. So by 2022, Hoffenberg was 77 years old, so I didn't think much of his death, and I never heard of Middleton before listening to Whitney Webb on a recent podcast. Okay, so when he says he had never heard of Middleton before listening to Whitney Webb on a recent podcast, that kind of perked up my ears. So I thought, okay, let me find out what Whitney Webb is all about. Oh, my goodness. This is a young lady who really likes to research violent crimes. 
So I got a five and a half minute clip here from Whitney Webb, and she's fascinating. And I'm going to be reading a lot of her stuff and checking out her podcast. Here goes nothing. Southern Air Transport was running cargo from Hong Kong to Columbus. And okay, you ever heard of Southern Air Transport? Because I talked to a buddy of mine who's pretty well connected um, with conspiracies and deep state and military and all these different things, and he couldn't place it. Southern Air Transport was around from 1947 to 1998. It was based in Miami. It was a cargo airline best known as a front company for the CIA, starting in 1960 when the CIA bought it. Also known for its crucial role in the Iran-Contra scandal in the mid-'80s. So if you know anything about that, Barry Seal, there you go. During the affair, Southern Air transported arms to Iran and to the U.S.-backed stateless mercenary army, the Contras in Central America, which were fighting the revolutionary Sandinista government in Nicaragua. So that's Southern Air Transport. And as she said, they were going to Columbus, Ohio a lot. So let me just start that over now that I've kind of told you what that's all about. Southern Air Transport was running cargo from Hong Kong to Columbus. And it's hard to know exactly what um, they were moving, but a bunch of people thought it was really suspicious. I think I finally figured it out, and a lot of it has to do, I think, uh, with who Epstein was meeting with at the White House at the same time that they were getting Southern Air Transport to move over there, which is Mark Middleton. And if you're not familiar with Mark Middleton, uh, in May of this year, uh, he was found hanging from a tree at the uh, ranch of uh, an NGL called Heifer International that's tied to both the Gates Foundation and the Clinton Foundation. So that's fun. Uh, hanging from a tree with an extension cord around his neck and a shotgun blast to the chest. It ruled a suicide. Um, all photos and media taken at the scene of his death has been blocked by a judge. So... Um, Wait, that was just a couple months after the visitor logs of Middleton and Epstein at the Clinton White House in the mid-90s came out, and it was revealed that what was previously thought to have been five, vi- sorry, five visits was really 17, 17, in less than two years. And all during this time when uh, Epstein is simultaneously involved with Southern Air Transport, which, as I mentioned earlier, had a history in Arkansas when Clinton was governor and was, you know, Members of Clinton's inner circle at that time were involved in those operations, yeah. Now, again, here's what is commonly understood and believed about this whole thing. Southern Air Transport was flying guns down to the Contras who were fighting the Sandinistas to take over Nicaragua, and they were bringing back cocaine. Um, to Mena Airport in Mena, Arkansas. Tiny, tiny little place. And um, Barry Seal was the pilot. And uh, 
You know, he, he was the main pilot. He, he was the guy that was making zillions. So he was working for the CIA, but then the DEA was after him because he was really smuggling, smuggling a lot of drugs. And um, there was a movie made about it, which, you know, left out some stuff, but Tom Cruise was in a movie. Came out 2017 called American Made. I'm told that the docudrama that HBO did in 1991 in which Dennis Hopper played Barry Seal, it's called Double Crossed, was actually better than the one Tom Cruise is in. But anyway, anyway, anyway. I don't want to get too far off the subject. Let's, uh, let's go back to Whitney Webb. Talk about the CIA and uh, Mark Middleton. So you start to look into Mark Middleton. It's really crazy, really fast. I'll give you an example. Um, When George W. Bush became president, do you know the first time he invoked executive privilege? Uh, It was just a couple weeks before 9-11, and it was to block all documents being released to Congress about Mark Middleton. Okay, that's crazy. Who was a Clinton staffer, not a Bush staffer. So why did the Bush family step in to protect Mark Middleton, who left the White House in 1995? Um, what kind of documents was Congress looking to get a hold of, do we know? They're related to the largely forgotten Clinton scandals of the uh, 1996 uh, re-election campaign. The uh, sus- the the concern about foreign espionage uh, financing of the Clinton campaign. Are you old enough to remember? Were you paying attention to politics back then? Al Gore did a fundraising event at a, a Chinese Buddhist temple in L.A. The Clinton Clinton's uh, got a lot of illegal Chinese money. Al Gore asked about it. He's like, well, there's no controlling legal authority. In other words, who's going to stop us? Up until then. Up until then. Um, the communist Chinese government couldn't figure out how to launch missiles. They kept on breaking up and stuff. And... Um, Bill Clinton granted a waiver so an American missile company what's it called L'Oreal could go ahead and give them this sensitive missile technology. Yeah. So that was a bad thing. But hey, I got re- reelected, you know. So I mean, all's well that ends well, right? We'll, we'll see about that, won't we? Because China plays the long game. Anyway, let me let's let's go back to. Uh, 
Let's go back to uh, Whitney Webb. In 1996. And that is totally mental also. Um, and man, um, yeah, if you start to look into that, it becomes pretty clear pretty quickly that the Clinton kill list is about like 34 people short of what it really should be. <laughs> My mind, like going back to Middleton, like what beans was he about to spill if they hung him and then shot him in the chest with a shotgun and just left him he- why did they wait until this May to do it? I think it has to do with the fact that visitor logs about him and Epstein came out and people were going to start looking into who was Mark Middleton. And when you start going down that road of who was Mark Middleton, it gets really crazy really fast. And then you see that the Bush is, the, you know, child Bush, you know, W.W. W. Bush steps in his first invocation of you know executive privilege as president is to is to protect this guy who had resigned like five uh, five six ish years prior from the White House left in February 1995. Yeah, Epstein's last visit to the White House was just before Mark Middleton left in January 1995. He stopped going when Middleton was gone because he was meeting mostly with Middleton. So but was- his first visit. His first visit was signed off by Robert Rubin, who became Treasury Secretary and whose deputy was Larry Summers. And while Larry Summers is Robert Rubin's deputy, he's flying on Epstein's plane uh, way before he becomes president of Harvard. And another crazy thing about Robert Rubin, before he was in that position where he brought in Epstein to the White House. He was, uh, I think at that time, he was head of the National Economic Council or something like that. But before he was in the Clinton administration, Robert Rubin was head of Goldman Sachs at the exact time that Goldman Sachs uh, was taking a ton of heat because of their involvement and Robert Maxwell's illegal business activities and the theft of pension fund money and all of this stuff. Goldman Sachs intimately involved in that and Robert Rubin would have too. So the guy that, you know, was intimately involved in Robert Maxwell's financial crimes brings Jeffrey Epstein to the White House uh, on his first White House visit on, you know, eh, there's a lot more to come out, you know. So I, I, I tried to dig up a lot in my book because, I mean, think about all the stuff we've talked about today. Where else have you heard this about Jeffrey Epstein? And it's all able to be nowhere. documented. Like I said, uh, my sources for this are either mainstream media, primary sources, uh, congressional investigations, police reports, all kinds of stuff like that. You know, primary, try and debunk me, assholes in mainstream media. You know, I'm not. Uh, That's Whitney Webb, and she's good. I give credit where it's due. She is good, all right. So, um, let me go back to this, uh, this article, I mean, this is where I found out about her from. So, the article which mentions Whitney Webb. Oh, first of all, that little refresher about the whole China thing. Pretty good Wikipedia page on it. The 1996 United States campaign finance controversy, or uncommonly referred to as Chinagate, was an effort by the People's Republic of China to influence domestic American politics prior to and during the Clinton administration, also involved the fundraising practices of the Clinton administration itself. And it goes into great detail there. 
about how Clinton's played fast and loose with the law. Anyway, get back to the article, Clinton, Middleton, Epstein, and Stevens, Inc., oh my, from Pete Lincoln, over at his Substack, September 1st, 2022. And he said, I found out Mark Middleton's brother, Larry, has worked at Stevens, Inc., and now I'm very interested. Stevens, Inc. has been connected to BCCI. Now, BCCI was a big bank with a big scandal. The Bank of Credit and Commerce International. And it lasted from 1972 to 1991. Mucho, mucho scandal. Money laundering, all kinds of stuff going on. It was forced to close. Anyway, he said, I found out that Mark Middleton's brother, Larry, worked for Stevens, Inc. That got him very interested. He was connected to BCCI. He was connected to something called Promise. P-R-O-M-I-S. Now, I had to look that one up, too. It stands for Patient Reported Outcomes Measurement Information System. It's a multi-institutional collaboration with the National Institutes of Health. And uh, that just looks like a big old mess. Now, what else did Pete Lincoln say Mark Middleton's brother was tied up with? Uh, The Bushes and the Clintons. Oh, okay. He says, this is the first connection of Stevens to Epstein, Jeffrey Epstein, that I'm aware of, albeit only through Larry's brother. Turns out Mark Middleton did try to funnel some Asian money through his brother Larry during his Clinton years, although allegedly Stevens, Inc. ultimately refused the business. And so then we have a collection of notes and recent stories. How about this one? One Nation Under Blackmail, Volume 1. This, of course, is Whitney Webb's book that came out September twenty second, 2022. One Nation Under, Bra- Under Blackmail, Volume 1. The sordid union between intelligence and crime that gave rise to Jeffrey Epstein Oh, my goodness. And from the book, it says, Late last year, DailyMail.com exclusively revealed Middleton was among the Clinton advisors and aides who had led Epstein to the White House during the former president's first few years in office. Late pedophile made at least 17 trips, and they go into the thing about... Um, um, Clinton aide Mark Milton flying on Lolita Express, Jeffrey Epstein's jet. Chris Cox Heffer, spokesman for Heffer International, said ranch employees found Middleton's car in the parking lot, notified the sheriff, body was found shortly thereafter. Heffer told the UK Daily Mail he wasn't invited to the property and staff became aware he was there without authorization. 
We've not found any connection to Heifer. The ranch is well-known in the area. It's possible he could have attended something here, but we couldn't find any major links. The ranch hosts school groups for things like lambing, so he could have attended one of those, dealing with the lambs. It's a very unfortunate incident. In an interview with Radar Online, before he decided to clam up, Sheriff Montgomery said Middleton was discovered hanging from a tree with a shotgun blast to his chest. So Middleton was 59 when he died. The family's company is based in Bryant, Arkansas. His LinkedIn page said he was president at Midcorp Capital and based in Little Rock. He was listed as managing director of Middleton Heat and Air. Again, prominent member of the Bill Clinton administration in the first term. In 93 through 95. And, of course, investigators determined cause of death was suicide pretty quickly after the body was found. But then later on, they reopened the investigation, and now they're saying it's suicide again. I don't know, man. Daily Mail reported Middleton died at the Heifer Ranch in Perryville, Arkansas, owned by an anti-poverty nonprofit called Heifer International, 30 miles away from his home. Heifer International is funded by the BMGF and BlackRock, and Middleton had no business being at the Heifer Ranch. So it makes you wonder, doesn't it? Now, BMGF, of course, stands for Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Oh, boy. And again, it is tied to the Clinton Foundation, too. In 1999, the U.S. House Committee on Government Reform discussed Mark Middleton. This is like four years after he left the White House. U.S. Representative Dan Burton of Indiana, who was the chair of the committee, said the following about him according to a transcript. He said, Mark, Mark Middleton is here today. He's a former senior White House aide from Arkansas. He was a close friend of the president. He was a special assistant to the president, an assistant to the chief of staff, for the last two and a half years, he has not cooperated with this committee's investigation in any way. Did Mark Middleton know Liu Chao Ying? We don't know. Was he working with the Chinese government or other foreign sources to arrange campaign contributions? We don't know. Did Mark Middleton get a half a million dollars to do good things for China? We don't know. We've asked Mr. Middleton to come in and talk with us. We've asked Mr. Middleton to respond to all the allegations that have been raised about him. We have not been able to convince him to tell us his side of the story. His lawyer tells us he is going to assert his Fifth Amendment rights not to implicate himself and not to answer any of our questions today. Now, have you heard this from anywhere else? No, I don't think you have. I spend as much time as I possibly can trying to dig out stuff for you. According to Arkansas Money and Politics, in 1997, the New York Times reported that in the spring of 95, 
A few months after his fraud conviction, former Associate Attorney General Webster Hubble and his wife asked a recently retired White House aide whether the Riyadi family of Indonesia, which had already paid Hubble $100,000, would be keeping him on its payroll even as he faced the possibility of going to prison. Over dinner at the Palm Restaurant in Washington, the former aide, Mark Middleton, told the Hubbles to take their question to the Riyadi family itself or to John Huang, the Riyadi's former top American executive, who was then a trade official at the Commerce Department. This is according to Robert Luskin, Middleton's lawyer. It's not known whether Hubble ever followed up on Middleton's suggestion at the Palm Restaurant for the gathering and other new details. Well, new in 1997. Gleaned from interviews with current and former aides and their associates indicate that Middleton was one of about a dozen or so senior Clinton administration aides and advisors who found themselves drawn into Hubble's plight in one way or another. The House Committee says that Middleton came to Washington in 1992 after raising money for the Clinton campaign. He was a young attorney who had left the law firm of Mitchell, Williams, Selig, Gates, and Woodyard to become one of the first campaign workers for then-Governor Clinton, who was trying to run for president. According to that document, Middleton raised between 4 and $5 million as Arkansas director and later as Southern Finance Director for the Clinton campaign. During the transition period after the 1992 election, Middleton worked for Mac McClarty, who had just been named Chief of Staff for the incoming administration. McClarty later hired Middleton as an executive or special assistant in the Chief of Staff's office, where he was a liaison to the Arkansas and business communities. Then what does Heavy.com have for us? During his time with Clinton, he reportedly invited Epstein to the White House for at least, at least seven of the 17 visits. Middleton may have also flown Epstein's plane, connected the uh, two powerful men, Epstein and Clinton. February 1995, Middleton left the White House. Following year, an investigation by the White House found that he had abused his access to impress business clients, was barred from the pro- property without senior approval. He would deny those claims. Okay, what does the, uh, the U.K. Sun have? Hold on to something. Having more than one event chair is not unique in the world of philanthropy, but the Middletons... Founders of Middleton Heat and Air bring a lifetime's worth of teamwork to this year's gala, which will support emergency and trauma services in honor of first responders. Mark's brother Larry said, We believe the Arkansas Children's Foundation requested all three serve as co-chairs because members of their team have witnessed the closeness and strength of our working relationship that we enjoy as siblings, friends, and business partners, the bond that we enjoy today is a result of us learning at a young age that life was better when we faced challenges as a team. Among the trio's miracle ball responsibilities are the components of financial support, communication, organization, and relationships. Sandy 
said that. That's the sister. In fact, the Middletons, Larry in particular, were responsible for the Miracle Ball's 007 theme. This goes on and on and on. Casino Royale, all this kind of stuff. But then we get down to the stuff that's highlighted. Larry, in this article from the UK Sun from years ago, says Larry is executive vice president at financial services firm Stevens, Inc., Sandy is co-owner of real estate developer Coastal Partners, and Mark is president of investment firm Midcorp Capital. Stevens, Inc. is a huge, huge business. I just If you're executive vice president of that, you're making serious money. So that's interesting. The article here says, um, from the Little Rock Soiree magazine, Mark's brother Larry is a high-level, long-term executive of Stevens, Inc. They're all interested in James Bond themes and children's welfare. Uh-oh. He says, no wonder Mark got along with Epstein. Yikes. August 22nd, 1997, from the Wall Street Journal. Former Clinton aide is linked to Taiwan's central bank. Mark Middleton, former White House aide now entangled in the Democrat Party's foreign fundraising scandal, called a Little Rock, Arkansas brokerage house in mid-1995 with an odd tip. Taiwan's central bank was shopping for a money manager to invest some of its reserves in U.S. government securities. According to officials at the firm Stevens, Inc., Mr. Middleton told Chief Operating Officer Kurt Bradbury that they would be perfect for the job because Taiwan wanted to do business with a company perceived to have connections to President Clinton. Though the brokerage house's relationship with the former Arkansas governor has been rocky at times, Stevens is a force in the state's politics and supported Mr. Clinton's campaign financially at key moments in his career. Mr. Bradbury recalls he said they wanted to do business with friends of the president. The implication, he adds, was that Taiwan wanted to build a relationship with the Clinton administration through Stevens. At the time, Taiwan was lobbying hard for enhanced treatment from the U.S. Stevens declined the offer, which it later learned would have involved a $30 million account. Mr. Bradbury says now, thank God we didn't take that money. Indeed, in the two years since then, 95-97, there's been an intense focus on on, on the flow of Asian money into the U.S. political system, Investigators have been examining reports that supporters of both China and Taiwan were interested in using money to influence policy toward Asia. Stevens, Inc. officials say they don't know whether congressional investigators and federal law enforcement authorities probing the campaign finance scandal know about the matter because the company has not received official inquiries about it. Responding to two letters outlining the details of this article, the Central Bank of China in Taipei says in a fax, quote, we never discuss our correspondent bank list to the public, unquote. Mr. Middleton's lawyer, again, this is back in 1997, Wall Street Journal, Mr. Middleton's lawyer, Robert Luskin, confirms his client suggested that Stevens, Inc. vie for the bank's business, but denies he suggested anything about its political motives. Mr. Luskin said no one ever suggested to him, and he never suggested to anyone, that an arrangement with Stevens would somehow curry favor with the president. Mr. Middleton, a focus of the Senate committee that's investigating campaign abuses, 
knew Mr. Clinton from their days together in Arkansas and became a major fundraiser for his 1992 campaign. He held a mid-level White House job until February 95 when he left to try to broker business deals in Asia. Traveling in Asia. It's the first I've heard about this. Traveling in Asia, but Wall Street Journal, 1997. Mr. Middleton left many with the impression that he was a player in Mr. Clinton's inner circle and could arrange meetings with the president. At times, Mr. Middleton was treated accordingly, meeting with numerous political and business tycoons. Mr. Luskin denied his client was going around making himself out to be a big shot. Nevertheless, it is clear Mr. Middleton was visiting Asian power brokers at a time when major foreign policy issues were brewing, including the controversy surrounding President Clinton's May 1995 decision to let Taiwan President Lee Ting-hui visit his alma mater, Cornell University. Though friendly with the Taiwanese, the U.S. doesn't officially recognize it as a separate country. China claims sovereignty over the island. Mr. Lee's visit caused a major rift with China. It continued into 1996 when Beijing tried to intimidate Taiwan with military maneuvers and Mr. Clinton sent warships to the region as a warning to China. Among those Mr. Middleton rubbed elbows with in 1995 was the Taiwanese Central Bank's governor, Yuan Dong Shuo, a friend and political appointee of Taiwan President Li. In August 1995, Mr. Middleton was feted at a dinner with a handful of leading Taiwanese businessmen, including Mr. Shu. Also at that dinner was a Taiwanese-American businessman, a one-time major DNC fundraiser, F.T. Shu, who months earlier had used his access to the president and Vice President Al Gore to lend his voice to a major lobbying campaign to pressure Mr. Clinton to let President Lee visit Cornell University. The dinner happened within a day or so of Mr. Middleton's previously reported controversial meeting with Liu Taiying, who heads the business arm of Taiwan's ruling Kuomintang Party. Chen Xiaoping, a consultant who was there, has said repeatedly, including once in court in Taiwan, that Mr. Liu offered to donate $15 million to aid President Clinton's campaign. Messrs. Liu and Middleton deny that. Faced with a libel suit, Mr. Chin later said he had misunderstood what transpired, but a Taiwanese judge dismissed libel charges against two journalists who had repeated, uh, who had reported the alleged offer, calling Mr. Chin's court testimony more credible than his recantation and the journalist's article not entirely groundless. Exactly when in mid-1995 Mr. Middleton approached Stevens, Inc. is unclear. Okay, here's the, here's the highlighted part. Stevens officials say he first called his brother, Larry Middleton, who works in Stevens' capital management division. Stevens officials say Larry Middleton doesn't recall his brother mentioning anything about Taiwan, looking to do business with a friend of the president. Mr. Luskin, Mark Middleton's attorney, said Mark simply thought that this might be an opportunity to get some business to his brother. Next, Mark Middleton called Mr. Bradbury, and suggested he meet with the bank's governor, Mr. Shu, to discuss the idea. Bradbury said he was dubious because he considered the idea unusual and out of the blue. Central banks occasionally parcel out small portions of their reserves to outside managers, but usually they manage reserves in-house. 
The vast majority of Taiwan's approximately 90 billion, with a B, in foreign exchange reserves is managed in-house. People with inside knowledge say a small portion of the Taiwan Bank's portfolio is managed by a handful of outside brokers, including Goldman Sachs. Some experts say the proposed deal with Stevens Inc. was unusual because the amount of money involved is tiny for a large central bank. Moreover, these experts considered it odd that absent some other motive, Taiwan's bank would go to a large regional firm that isn't a big player in the government bond market rather than the Wall Street house. Lou Crandall, chief economist of R.H. Wrightson & Associates, a bond market research firm, says, that strikes me as an extremely unusual and odd sort of transaction. Mr. Bradbury discussed the idea with Warren Stevens, the company's president. Both decided against pursuing it, according to Stevens' officials. They add the principal reason for rejecting the idea was the political nature of Mark Middleton's initial approach, which they say Mr. Bradbury clearly recalls. Bradbury informed Middleton of the decision. Apparently, however, some at Stevens, Inc. didn't get the message and continued pursuing the matter. Bradbury was annoyed to find out months later it was still under consideration and moved to kill it once and for all. The result was an extraordinary letter, April 23, 1996, from Mr. Stevens to Mr. Chu explaining why his company wasn't interested in the deal. It might be seen by some as an attempt to influence U.S. policy toward Taiwan and perhaps China. He also said, I'm sure this seems far-fetched to you, but I believe it could actually happen. Wow. So there's a lot there. Uh, Mark Middleton was was pretty well connected. Mark Middleton goes way back. And the powers that be, I kind of find it hard to believe that the Perry County Sheriff's Office wrote police report, chalked it up suicide, without somebody helping them write it. For a whole 24 hours, they want us to believe that this very well-known man in central Arkansas had shot himself and the gun had just taken off on its own. And that wasn't playing with anyone. So 24 hours later, like, oh, well, yeah, there was a shotgun. It was like 30 feet away. We didn't mention that yesterday. How did we forget? It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Um, have a few more quotes about Mark Middleton from way back in the day. The great David Horowitz somehow or another wrote an article for Salon.com, June 21st, 1999. I don't know how that happened. He said the Riyadi relationship extended beyond the Clintons themselves to their friends and to Hillary's associates at Rose Law Firm, which, by the way, oldest law firm east, west of the Mississippi, including its head, Joe Girouard, and a White House aide named Mark Middleton, who later invoked the Fifth Amendment when he was called before a congressional committee. It was the Riottis who pro- provided a $100,000 
quote, job, unquote, for the indicted Webb Hubble at the moment when he had indicated to the prosecutors for special counsel Ken Starr that he might be ready to talk. After the payment from Riotti and others, Hubble changed his mind and chose jail instead. Um, Washington Times, August 5th, 1999, Jerry Sieper was a great, a great uh, reporter. He said, Mark Middleton, former confidant of Charles Ya Lin Tree. Oh, yeah, Charlie Tree, yeah. Rush Limbaugh used to talk about him. John Huang and Johnny Chung, Rush used to talk about all these guys back in the 90s, all of whom confessed to making illegal donations, illegal donations, during the 1996 presidential election. Mark Middleton is the highest-ranking administration official to refuse to cooperate in the campaign finance probe. Mr. Middleton, longtime Clinton confidant, who raised more than $4 million to the 1992 election, was called to appear before the House Government Reform Committee, which will ask him about his ties to Tree, Huang, and Chung, and his financial connections with the Lippo Group, $6 billion Indonesian real estate and banking conglomerate controlled by the Riyadi family, also Clinton supporters. Um, Jerry Sieper says here in the Washington Times, August 5th, 1999, Chung testified before the committee that Liu Chaoying, a lieutenant colonel in the People's Liberation Army of China, and a China Aerospace Company executive with whom Chung had a business relationship told him that Mr. Middleton received $50,000 in funds from the People's Liberation Army to do good things for Mr. Clinton. Mr. Middleton has denied the accusation. $50,000 um, 25 or 30 years ago is a lot more than it is now. August 6, 1999, Susan Roth reporting at the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, the big newspaper in Little Rock, Arkansas, said, Middleton, 36, has been linked with former Little Rock restaurateur Charlie Tree, California businessman Johnny Chung, and others indicted by the Justice Department for illegal fundraising during the campaign. Middleton, who now lives in Little Rock but owns a Washington-based company, that arranges international business deals, has acknowledged that he met with some of the major fi- figures in the campaign finance investigation in 94 and 95. He's also acknowledged that investigators could have legitimate questions about these contacts. But he maintains he did nothing wrong. Chung told the committee in May of 99 that a Chinese military official had told him that Middleton had received fifty thousand five hundred thousand. Oh, not fifty, five hundred thousand from a Singapore business group to quote do good things for China or to benefit China, unquote. Middleton has said in a written statement that the allegation was absolutely false and that he never received any money, directly or indirectly, related to the Chinese government. Susan Roth, Arkansas Democrat Gazette, also said According to committee documents, Middleton received at least $275,000 in retainer fees for unspecified work from July of 95 to April of 97. The money came from the Riyadi family of Indonesia, which runs the Lippo Group financial conglomerate, has business ties to Arkansas and President Clinton, 
has been implicated in campaign finance irregularities. Middleton also met with Tree and a financier named Ng Lap Singh from Macau, which is right next to Hong Kong, at the White House many times, according to the committee. Ng has also been implicated in illegal contributions to the 1996 Clinton campaign. Wall Street Journal, August 6, 1999, says Vanessa Weaver had her hearing yesterday. As we noted editorially yesterday, she's a White House aide who made 23 calls to the mysterious fundraiser John Wong and who Bill Clinton just nominated to the Export-Import Bank. She told the committee that when she called Mr. Huang in October 96, she didn't know he was a fugitive. Meanwhile, former White House aide Mark Middleton took the Fifth Amendment before Representative Dan Burton's committee. The question had to do with whether Mr. Middleton was involved with raising money from the Chinese and other foreign interests for the Democrat National Committee. By coincidence, the Export-Import Bank, to which Ms. Weaver aspires, counts China among its biggest clients. Somehow, these Clinton friends with memory deficit disorder don't inspire confidence in the way a relatively normal Democrat administration would. Now, for a bit of news that has not been reported in the media, Vanessa Weaver's appointment to the Export-Import Bank did not go through. Washington Weekly, August 9, 1999, Marvin Lee reporting, Burton asked Middleton about a statement attributed to Liu Chaoying, an agent of Chinese intelligence. The Mark Middleton got a half million dollars through a group in Singapore to do good things for China. Burton, Congressman Burton said, we've received testimony that you were doing something clandestine with agents of the Chinese military, the daughter of the PLA's most senior general. It was very cryptic, but since you haven't spoken to us, it's all we had to go on. What is known is that Middleton was instrumental in buying the silence of Whitewater witness Webb Hubble with money from China. James Riotti and John Huang met reportedly with Middleton in the White House before wiring $100,000 from a Hong Kong bank partly owned by Chinese intelligence to Webb Hubble. And when Chinese, tri- and when Chinese triad mobster Ng Lap Singh entered the U.S. with a suitcase containing 175000 in cash, he went to see Mark Middleton at the White House. Ng Lap Singh is a friend of Clinton crony Charlie Tree has been suspected of carrying cash between the Chinese government and the White House. The White House has never accounted for the source of or the spending of these suitcases full of cash, and neither Ng Lap Singh nor Middleton are willing to talk. Atlanta Journal-Constitution, August fifteenth, 1999, Rebecca Carr reporting. Wang first caught the eye of congressional investigators when he visited the White House on February 6, 1996, with Charlie Tree, a former restaurateur and friend of the Clintons from Arkansas. When news of Wang's trip to the White House first surfaced, President Clinton went out of his way to say it was clearly inappropriate for a Chinese arms dealer to appear at the White House. 
At the time, Clinton aides said they had no prior knowledge of Wang's gun-dealing background, nor did they know of his close ties to the Chinese army. But Collins said he gave top White House aides detailed information about Wang at a private White House luncheon in early May of 1994. Collins was asked to speak to a small gathering of business leaders at the White House luncheon after escorting Dong Xiaoping's son, Dong Jifang, to some of America's premier corporate centers. At the gathering, Collins said, were former White House counsel Thomas Mac McClarty and former senior aide Mark Middleton, who later became a target of the campaign fundraising probe. Rebecca Carr, Atlanta Journal-Constitution, also said after the lunch, Collins said Middleton called for more details about Wang. Collins said he told Middleton that Wang is the son of former Chinese Vice President Wang Zhen and that his companies were connected with the Chinese military. Collins said he grilled me and grilled me. It's hard to believe they didn't know who he was. If White House aides didn't know then who Wang was, they soon would learn. Wang's visit drew sharp criticism from lawmakers, including some Democrats, who said was an example of the lengths the White House would go to to raise a campaign dollar. If the White House had simply reviewed Polly's annual report, it would have found that the report lists its defense system sales. However, Wang used Polly to arm third-world countries and funnel American military technology back to China, according to internal company records and interviews. Cox explained, Wang's Poly Group is Communist China's worst worldwide proliferator of deadly weapons, having brokered the sale of cruise missiles to Iran and nuclear weapons to Pakistan. Congressional investigators believe that Poly also sold M9 nuclear-capable missile technology to Syria and arms to both sides of the Iraq-Iran war in the 1980s. Burma was another customer. Okay, back to this article here. At the um, Free Republic, freerepublic.com, which was for many years a big, the, the biggest bulletin board for conservatives. And there was, especially in the late 90s, the early 2000s, there was a person who went by Alamo Girl. Don't know what happened to her. She stopped posting in 2003, but it was Alamo-Girl. And she would just research and research and research and put all this stuff together. Just did a remarkable job. Anyway, a little bit more here. Washington Times, August 20th, 1999. A former White House official invoked the Fifth Amendment his Fifth Amendment rights, 28 times yesterday in refusing to testify during a rancorous House committee hearing on campaign finance abuses during the 1996 presidential election. Mark Middleton, an Arkansas lawyer and longtime confidant of President Clinton, steadfastly refused to answer questions by House Government Reform Committee Republicans on whether he conspired with government officials in China or elsewhere to illegally funnel contributions to the Democrat National Committee or the Clinton-Gore re-election campaign. The committee's ranking Democrat, Representative Henry Waxman of California, 
derided Mr. Burton and other Republicans for what he described as a malicious and misleading hearing. He said Mr. Middleton was called as a witness by the GOP after he said he would refuse to cooperate only so he could be punished. Meanwhile, Attorney General Janet Reno denied that the Justice Department was stalling its campaign finance task force probe to block congressional Republicans from conducting their own inquiries. She said it was certainly not true that the department had marked some probes as ongoing to halt efforts by the GOP to investigate the accusations. Now, I'm not sure Janet Reno also always told the truth. One more blurb here. Washington Post magazine's Inside the Loop from August 20, 1999, saying when we last checked, Mark Middleton, former assistant to former White House Chief of Staff Thomas F. McCarty, was being criticized for entertaining his potential business clients from Asia in White House dining facilities long after he left the White House. And House investigators wanted to talk to the native Arkansan and business partner of Yalin Charlie Tree about Asian campaign contributions, but Middleton, who left the White House early 1995, took the fifth. Just a few weeks ago, Middleton, looking very blonde and boyish, showed up in where else? Beijing, where he was seen shepherding around officials of a Little Rock investment company called Talisman Capital, including managing director Jeffrey Terman. We're told they're involved in a deal to invest several million dollars along with the along with the Hong Kong based South China Morning Post which is the big newspaper out of Hong Kong now all of this all of this was put together and went online September 5th 2001 so 6 6 days before 911 and they got over 150 comments. So freerepublic.com was kind of like social media before there was social media. It's the first thing I ever saw where you could actually comment on stuff on the Internet. It was before Twitter, Facebook, any of that stuff. I wish I knew what had happened to Alamo Girl because she really put together a lot of good stuff. So... Mark Middleton was a lot more connected than anybody in central Arkansas realized who just knew of him from the commercials for uh, Middleton Heating and Air. Deeply connected politically. And, I, you know, it's anybody's guess why none of the four major TV news operations wanted to touch this, why the big daily newspaper in Little Rock didn't want to touch it, why the big weekly newspaper didn't want to touch it, but nobody, 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 nobody. You know, sometimes I'm reminded of when I did talk radio in Arkansas, and I would touch stories nobody else would touch. I just mentioned one because it was a big national story. So it was um, late summer of 2018. And we had a call from the uh, airport. See, Bill and Hillary's names are on the airport, but I don't ever call it that. Their names will come off someday. A call from a listener at the airport who said, I don't know what's going on, but got federal agents out here 
loading hundreds of boxes of documents onto a big jumbo jet that is owned by the Department of Justice and is headed back to Washington, D.C. It happened twice in like two or three days. And my producer and I couldn't figure it out. I mean, we doubted it was the Bull Weevil Eradication Board. It had to be the Clinton Foundation. Had to be. So we kind of figured it out, but we didn't have any confirmation is what I'm saying. Until December 13th, December 13th, wait a minute, did I say 2018? Yeah, 2018. December 13th, 2018, Congressman Jim Jordan and Congressman Mark Meadows had a committee hearing. Most people in Congress had gone home. There were very few people at the committee hearing. But they interviewed Tom Fitton from Judicial Watch in the morning, and in the afternoon, they interviewed a couple of guys, Moynihan and Doyle, who had businesses that would audit 501c3s. Sometimes a 501c3 would say, hey, could you come in and audit us, just make sure that we're doing everything above board, we don't want to get into trouble with the IRS, yada, yada. And sometimes they would audit 501c3s that didn't want to be audited. And if they found out you know, crimes had been committed of a serious enough nature and turned them into the feds, then they get a commission. And so they brought up, and it's still on YouTube last time I checked. All you have to do is look for Moynihan and Doyle, December 13th, 1998. You'll find it. They brought up what we had gotten a call about in our local talk radio show in Little Rock, Arkansas, months earlier about the federal agents putting hundreds of boxes of documents on a jumbo jet owned by the Justice Department and headed back to Washington, D.C. They said in broad daylight, FBI and IRS, CID agents, Criminal Investigation Division, had raided the Clinton Foundation in downtown Little Rock in broad daylight and had taken hundreds of boxes of documents out. Not one television station reported it. Not one newspaper reported it. The Doc Washburn Show on a radio station was the only entity in Little Rock, Arkansas media that reported it and then reported the update when we found out the confirmation of what had happened. You really ought to look at that testimony sometime on YouTube because they were saying they talked to the CFO of the Clinton Foundation. They said, well, we've got a big problem because President Clinton keeps on mingling Family money with foundation money. We try to stop them, but there's there's no there's nothing you can do. They also said that Bill Gates was on the board of directors early on with the Clinton Foundation. There's a problem. The Clinton Foundation basically had a charter to build a museum. You know, which they did in downtown Little Rock, but pretty quickly after they started, the Clinton Foundation started acting as agents for foreign governments. And Bill Gates told Bill Clinton, hey, you can't do that. That's not in your charter. you got to petition the government to change your charter to do that. And so Bill Clinton and Bill Gates had a falling out, and Bill Gates left the board of the Clinton Foundation. I mean, they, they talked about all kinds of stuff. The Clintons are used to getting away with stuff, just, just so you know. 
I don't, I don't know if you heard about that. Anyway, um, it's a shame what happened to Mark Middleton. And it's also a shame they wanted us to believe for 24 hours that he shot himself and there was no gun. And then that didn't fly. So 24 hours later, they're like, well, sure, there was a gun. Of course. Where'd you get the idea there wasn't a gun? Just because we didn't mention a gun. Good grief. Yeah, the shotgun found 30 feet away. I don't think so. I really don't think so. Okay. Having said that, it's time to say hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Brought to you by Red River Auto. Red River Auto is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice. Have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental United States. And today's tweet of the day was tweeted out by a guy named Seth Dillon. Seth Dillon, he's got over half a million followers on Twitter, and he's um, a big deal with the premier satire website in existence. It's called Babylon B. And he's got a little five-minute speech by a freshman in high school. He says, this kid, ha- this kid has more courage, conviction, and clarity of thought than most adults today. Powerful stuff. I can't imagine how proud his parents are. And so here we listen to a freshman in high school just dragging the woke school administrators. Enjoy. Hi, my name is Brad Taylor, and I just finished my freshman year at RHS. Um, I've been a part of District 196 schools now for 10 years, and I'm going to give you a glimpse today of what's actually going on inside these schools. Um, Despite the board's attempt to deny it, District 196 schools are quickly becoming a place where promoting activism is actually more important than promoting education. I'll I'll take you back to my first day at RHS this fall. The principal came out and gave us a heartfelt speech about equality and standing together. Um, He began to list countless races, such as Latino, Asian, expressing how much they matter and how important they are. But never once did he mention a race or identity that reflects me, or half the kids that were in the class. Now, members of the board, I know you haven't been to school in a while, and I know most of the people, I know none of you, or most of you, don't have any kids left in the school district. Um, But you must admit how uncomfortable it will be to be characterized just by your skin color on the first day of school and be thought that you were wrong just because of your skin color. So I'll never forget the look one of my friends gave me from across the room as we were sitting there listening to this blatant bias being expressed in the so-called equity statement by the leader of our school. To be clear, I don't need you to tell me that I matter, but hearing the condolences given to other races and leaving just one race out, it inevitably you'll start to feel like you've done something wrong. And in our principal's attempt to unify us, he instead created unwarranted boundaries and barriers between his students, pitting us against each other based on characteristics that we can't control. In another separate instance, I was told that writing all lives matter on the whiteboard was political and could be seen as offensive. When I questioned the teacher after class, she told me that she didn't have an answer and she just had to erase it, and it was quickly erased. 
There are political signs all over RHS, specific about specific races that matter, specific sexual orientations that matter, and specific perspectives that matter. But when I questioned the RHS administration about how these signs were political, they told me that they were supporting human rights. So when I questioned why the equity statement couldn't represent all students, they told me that to even ask that question was outlandish and offensive. And they, when I asked why that was, they told me, quote, whites have a pretty good situation right now, unquote. So is that not racism? Disregarding my question merely because of the color of my skin. To be honest, after enduring a year of the people in charge telling me that I'm a racist and I'm privileged and pointing out our irreversible differences, I've never noticed race more. And it's becoming the first thing I notice when I meet someone, which has never before been the case. RHS administration confidently told me that RHS students and staff are happy with their equity statement. But from the ex my experience in talking with other students, this is not the case. I know many kids who disagree with their teachers, but they're too scared to stand up because they're worried that their grades will be docked and their learning experience will be affected. My honors government teacher, I'm not going to say his name, but he's mentioned that Democrats care more about all people while Republicans only care about themselves. And he's also inferred to us that socialism is better than democracy. He even had a statue. He had a statue of a socialist leader in his classroom. Um, I have been, I've been told by a lot of kids that they just stay silent and adjust their schoolwork to reflect an acceptable opinion to secure a good grade. I've been approached by multiple teachers who have told me in private that they just want to say that they agree with me and they support me standing up, but they can't say it in front of the class for fear of being disciplined by the administration in some way or losing their jobs. There is clearly only one way to think in this district, and that is that they are teaching their kids to shut up if they don't agree. Now, members of the board, I want you to take a good look at yourselves in the mirror tonight and ask, are you really standing up for the equality of all people, or are you just pushing a damaging political ideology um, on, on our students? A fellow coworker at my job, who, by the way, is of color, discreetly told me that the school seemed to be pushing a very leftist agenda in class. This proves that not everyone is happy with your school, and not everyone who isn't happy is white. Now, due to all these instances I've mentioned, and many more that I can't fit in this five-minute speech, I've decided to leave this district and continue school on a private Christian school online. And, and there will be sacrifices, and I will not get to walk in the graduation ceremony or attend milestones at RHS, but I will be able to learn in an environment that is not intent on punishing me daily for my skin color and political views. Now, regardless of how you take my speech, whether you just shrug it off as malarkey or Fox News talking points, I encourage you to think about it, because someday I'm going to be a leader. I may be the president, a governor, or just a professional golfer, but I will never stop believing that everybody has value, no matter their skin color or personal beliefs, and it's a shame that you're not going to be able to say that I was an alumni of RHS in District 196. Thank you. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. All right, that is brought to you by, that's today's Tweet of the Day, brought to you by Red River Auto. And we're thankful they're here. And that was strong, brother. I ain't going to lie, fan. That was strong. Hey, you've been listening to Episode 350 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. If you have any questions for us, email us at contact docwashmanshow.com. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, 
Simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions. Seventh floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier X, Senior Vice President, Engineering, IT, and Interoperability for the Doc Washburn Show. And that's the way it is. Thursday, February 23rd, 2023.